0: Welcome back to Focus. I'm Ron Cisco. I think we're just gonna get it out of the way, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna talk about politics. I know we've talked about politics in the past before, but usually I dance around the idea of it being called politics. I like to talk about compassion and passion in general, and um, and and just being able to take care of other people. To me, is very important. Um, but but today, I think we're just gonna talk about politics, and I fear I fear deeply that this this is the start of the beginning of this just being a political podcast and and I hope that that's not the case but it's possible it it's hard not to talk about politics at this point it's um it's 2020 an ugly thing started happening um and it's probably always been there deep down but ever since the advent and acceptance and proliferation of social media it it has become increasingly difficult to have a conversation with people in a civil manner. I'll admit personally I find a lot of ideals distasteful in the conservative side of things but uh, but prior to this uh, it, at least in most cases we were able to have civil conversations about the differences between ideologies. The biggest issue I guess it becomes uh, isolationism the self-imposed isolation they, they call it the bubble where you surround yourself with ideals and people who believe in those ideals and you don't even have to do it physically because it's no longer a matter of being able to find people who think the same way you do in a, a physical location. You can now do it over the internet and, and find like-minded people who feed each other ideas. It's not difficult to, uh, to believe a certain thing and then find information that, that supports your, your position and then kind of latch onto that especially when there's a community involved because then you can feed each other the same ideas the same encouragement and uh, and never really have to come up with the uncomfortable side of the discussion that that maybe you are wrong or uh, or at the very least maybe you should reconsider your ideas or your positions and, and become more moderate in some way the end result of that is the obvious polarization of uh, of, of our nation of our people of our po- political beliefs um, and it's 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 detrimental to our ability to function as a society. On the one hand, I want to believe believe that it's it's the fault of uh, politicians and the spin managers. I, I think it's genuinely evil that that those things are played up. Um, that that we can't allow people to have minds of their own. That uh, that people are are being forced to give up their individuality for, I guess, for a place. On the other hand, it is. It is definitely the, the, the fault and the will of the people to give up that individuality in order to have people back them up when they uh, when they say something, when they make claims. To have a side or a team is is so within our nature that, that we do it at every turn, and it's something I've discussed before. Psychologists and sociologists would call this tribalism, which is... Um, I don't know, maybe an antiquated term anymore. I understand what they're getting at, but it's, it's no longer follows that pattern. It's not about a tribe. It's about a group of people who who all want to think the same way. It's almost a hive mindism. I think we were warned about this in Star Trek, actually, with the Borg. From a thought perspective, just from a thought exercise perspective, it's disgusting to me that we can no longer have individual positions on things it's either you're a liberal liberal or a conservative or a socialist or a libertarian you have to be put into a specific jar uh, and I, I don't like to live in those jars even though I consider myself more or less a socialist there are definitely things that I believe in that don't satisfy uh, what most people would consider uh, that belief system it's it's something that I see a lot when I go to a competition for example uh, for generally speaking I don't talk to people enough to get to A place where we talk about politics. We usually just talk about performance or we'll compare guns or we'll compare ammo or equipment or, you know, something about technique, whatever it is that we're looking at. Those are all, those are all the conversation pieces. And we very rarely get to the point where we talk about politics, unless you shoot with a very small group for a long period of time. And then invariably it'll, invariably it'll come up. Somebody will mention something that happened in the news or, or something that made the headlines in some way. And, uh, and somebody will react in disgust, and then it'll become not necessarily a shooting match. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, but, but sometimes it becomes at least a discussion, usually two people agreeing with each other because of the nature of, of what I'm doing. The interesting things about those conversations is that if you have a conversation with those individuals, no two people will think exactly alike. For the most part, they're gonna agree with each other, but then they're gonna have mild derivation in that conversation in those, in those positions where they'll they say, well, okay, but I think that blah, 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 when it comes to the very specific things, which means that there isn't just a shade of right and a shade of left, there's all of these gradients in between. Because even when people agree definitely from what position you should be standing, they can still understand that there are differences in between those positions, and those people are capable of having a civil conversation because, of, of course, thanks to tribalism, I, I, we're going to come up with a different word for that by the end of this, I swear. Um, as long as they're beating the left, it doesn't matter. Again, even my positions are kind of weird uh, as a person who enjoys firearms, who, who likes shooting and especially talking about shooting, uh, I don't really believe that everyone in the country should have one or or that necessarily they should be as accessible as they are. Uh, at, at, as it stands right now, because we travel so much, it's actually very difficult for me to purchase a firearm. Um, they will sell it to you from out of state, absolutely. But they're they're much more careful about it when you're coming from another state, which, you know, people don't really believe, especially given that woman who flew from Florida to Colorado and then purchased a shotgun directly out of nowhere... Um, most in most cases, and probably even in that case, you'll undergo quite a bit of scrutiny. You'll you'll uh, you'll have questions asked about your intent and um, and what you do. And uh, I think for the most part, if I were to say to somebody, "Oh yeah, no, I do a lot of competition shooting, and I wanted to add a Glock to my collection," I probably wouldn't get a side side look. People would be like, "Oh well, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, whatever. I can see that you've already got one. You're good." Um, because generally speaking, that's how it is. But on the other hand, you know. Um, uh, they're, they're definitely red flags to that particular set of circumstances, something I understand as well. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to have nuance to your position. Um, people who, uh, enjoy firearms don't necessarily have to be second amendment supporters, which is funny because within the firearms community, that's very divisive as well. Um, they, they call them Elmer FUDs or just FUDs. Uh, which is to say people who believe that firearms are are a tool that shouldn't be regulated and not necessarily like a property of freedom. And even within that community, for people who believe in the Second Amendment being one of those protectors of our our Constitution and our right to liberty, uh, life and the pursuit of happiness, there are some people like me who don't believe that you should give firearms to everyone because there are some people who can't make good judgment decisions um, versus some people who believe that the, the only way for um, for things to work out is is kind of a, a way of, of of absolute chaos, uh, which really kind of gives way to a lot of the way people think. you know it, if you really sit down and analyze the way people are thinking, you can understand the positions that they're coming from. And sometimes people do that backwards where they assign a belief about someone versus, uh, uh, and, and, and then try to draw the line from there to how someone is, is telling you their thinking, and then, uh, and then you can kind of easily dismiss them as well. Again, I'm not immune to that kind of tribalism. Uh, one of the things that has happened since my giving up a car is that I've forgotten actually how to drive a car. Now, I've taken a lot of driving classes, which is more than most people do. Normally, you take a class to learn how to drive, that you get your license, and you never think about getting better at driving again. Uh, and I had actually taken, before I got my license, uh, five different classes about uh, defensive driving, offensive driving, a little bit of race driving, and, and a couple of other classes involved in, uh, in, in using a, a car um, in different ways than just as a, may of, a means of conveyance that, that to me were important for me to learn before I got a license. It's funny to me because um, when I finally got my motorcycle license, I didn't really think twice about the fact that I didn't have a lot of training. Instead of taking all of those other classes to make sure I knew all those things, I was actually kind of on a time crunch because we were starting this endeavor to uh, start traveling the United States and uh, and we needed a vehicle and my vehicle was, we made the decision it was no longer going to be a viable means of conveyance. So we, we started making plans at, at uh, moving to a motorcycle instead, because to, to me, that made sense. Um, so I just, you know, kind of get it done, and then I figured I would learn along the way the best ways to drive a motorcycle. And that has been a gift and a curse. Uh, I got my motorcycle, my first motorcycle. I can't believe I can say that. I got my first motorcycle at the end of March in 20, 2019. And uh, and the first thing I did was... Um, well, before we got it, was watch hundreds and maybe, maybe thousands even of, uh, of uh, motorcycle crash videos on YouTube. Because thankfully, so many people have cameras. You can see what people are making in mistakes and, and what kind of situations people are getting into and how you can avoid those in the future. Unfortunately, that's not a replacement for experience. So I got a top of my motorcycle. I uh, started learning how the clutch worked and and kind of going through the, the general steps that I've been taught by the Internet. Uh, on how to get the motorcycle to move, just so that I could be prepared for my eventual class uh, in April to the 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 MSF course, so that I could learn how to drive a motorcycle and then I could take the test and then uh, get my endorsement and then really start learning how to drive. So it's uh, the end of March. I think it's the twenty seventh of March, maybe the twenty eighth. Um, I get my my bike, get on top of the bike. It's a Suzuki C fifty uh, Boulevard, I think, and um, and that Boulevard. Was, um, was was 800 cc's, which seems like a lot of bike, but for a 600-pound cruiser, that's that's not a lot of bike. Um, at least it doesn't feel like a lot of bike. So I got on top of that, and I got a little comfortable of moving around, very bad at turning, because if you don't know how to turn on a motorcycle, even if you've ridden a, a bicycle all the time, you can't connect those two things because your bicycle weighs 25 pounds or 50 pounds, depending on how much you spend spent on your bicycle, and this motorcycle now weighs 600 pounds and can crush you. And, uh, and so I didn't know any better, and I, um, I didn't realize that you need to be careful about what's underneath you. Underneath your rear tire, you have to be mindful of your tires. Something that you don't have to do in a car. And I, uh, I tried to throttle out a little bit, the rear tire just slipped out, and the first thing that happened in the very first hour of the first day that I owned that motorcycle, I dropped it, and it landed on me, and I bruised up my leg. Honestly, the whole thing could have been avoided. I could have been taking the class already last year and the year before, uh, when I, when I kind of wanted to, but I just didn't know if it was going to be a serious pursuit, we weren't certain. I loved my car, which is a uh, 2002 WRX that I uh, lovingly named Phoebe. Um, and, and then, we, we, you know, we just we just we didn't know what we were going to do. So, was I going to dedicate hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars to the pursuit of a motorcycle license uh, to then not purchase a motorcycle? Or should I just leave it for the last minute, which is something we can do here? One of the biggest issues that that we have as Americans is that we have this expectation that freedom applies to more than just free thought, free assembly, um, that we want to make decisions for ourselves that aren't necessarily healthy because we don't want to be told what to and what not to do. And there are obvious ex- exceptions to that rule. You aren't allowed to operate a nuclear device without specific <laughs> certifications. Um, you you cannot operate a semi tractor trailer on a public road without certifications, but you sure as hell can buy one. Oddly enough, if you take the position that someone should be made to uh, learn how to use a firearm before they purchase a firearm, that's, that's actually, uh, in a lot of cases, a violation of your Second Amendment rights as an American citizen under the U.S. Constitution. Uh, the Bill of Rights states that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And however you want to read it and look into the capitalization and the, the commas and the n- intent and muskets and whatever, uh, the the wording there... You know, it, it has a certain clarity in terms of the whole well-regulated thing. When they talk about a well-regulated militia, a lot of people like to think that that means the U.S. Army. A lot of people like to think, though, that means the public militia, the security of the free state, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's important that people know how to use the weapons that they are, they're utilizing, procuring, or, or just defending themselves with. It's, it's one of the things that you see a lot in gun stores where somebody will take their wife or they'll take their kid out and they'll, they'll purchase a firearm. They'll say, this is going to be perfect for you. Um, they don't know anything about guns anyway. <laughs> like not the person that they're purchasing firearms for. The person who's, who's buying the gun with them doesn't know anything about firearms. They just know that they know how to shoot sort of because their daddy taught him how, how to shoot in the worst way possible. In the same way that they're going to teach this person how to shoot. And this is going to end badly because that person's going to go out, they're going to dump 50 rounds, they're going to say, oh yeah, that was fun, and they're never going to shoot again. They're going to keep the gun around thinking that they are safe because they have a gun, but they don't know how to use it. And that's a strange false sense of security to give some, to someone, especially a loved one. To me, it would be more important that you know how to utilize that and defend yourself safely and and to be uh, endowed with a good set of safe handling Uh, circumstances so that if a situation comes up you understand you have the muscle memory you have you have at least uh, a good position to come from you say okay I remember what I'm supposed to do I need to blah 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 great perfect great do that Uh, unfortunately we don't do that and so there are weapons in the hands of people who um, look at it as a safety thing and a lot of those people will turn around and say no this is a problem solver and that's dangerous Now, the difference between this and what happens to me normally because of uh, the motorcycle thing is I become obsessed with something and it's partially an ADD thing, but it's also partially like an interest thing. That's just the way my brain is wired since the beginning of time. If I'm interested in something, I will pursue it relentlessly until I find something else. And I don't think that that's going to be the case for shooting because I've been doing that for how old am I? Oh, God, I've been doing that for 17 years. Um, But uh, I don't think that's going to be the case for, for a motorcycle either. I've always loved cars, but they're too expensive. And honestly, I've never really felt stimulated over a long long period of time. Being on the motorcycle demands every moment of your attention. Every time you see someone out there who's not paying attention to their bike, that's a person who's deadly. They're on a missile. They're going to make a bad mistake because they're not paying attention. It's not a an if. It's not a if are they going to come home. If they make a mistake. If something goes wrong if another person isn't paying attention. Something will happen to that person. Something bad is going to happen to a person who no longer takes an interest in in being on a motorcycle. And so as a person who abhors using your cell phone while driving in the first place, and that's going to be another podcast topic later in the future, I love that being on a motorcycle demands 100% of my attention all the time. And I love that in order to be a more safe rider, because in most cases, this being our, our car, I need to take my wife with me, I have been forced to be a better motorcyclist. It's not um, just, I'll get better in the future. I pushed myself to make mistakes. I pushed myself to ride in environmental conditions that I probably shouldn't have been riding in. I pushed myself to watch videos, and to read, and eventually take more classes, which is something I'm looking forward to doing in 2020 and 2021. I pushed myself to become well-regulated in that manner. And so now I'm by no means an expert. In fact, I might be on the lower end of intermediate, but I'm capable because of my experiences of powering a machine that, well, not powering, but at least controlling a machine that has 1,200 cc's, which is, in, in terms of a motorbike, insane. Uh, and it's all torque. It's all torque. 100% of the time, you are in a torque band. Uh, and, and, and when it comes to in- acceleration, that is a motorcycle that rivals supercars. If you look up the stats on a 2015 BMW R1200GS, the 0-60 to 60 on that is 2.9 seconds. That is a missile. And in the first week that I had that bike, I was terrified of it and I made bad mistakes. And it wasn't until I became more comfortable with it that I understand that, that I can make bad mistakes and, and still survive that. But then I need to be, be, to be wary of those mistakes. And then I need to not repeat those mistakes because you can't stop yourself from, from making a mistake if you don't know what you're doing and you can't experiment, at least not in a, a safe manner or not in a reasonable manner, unless you're confident in your ability to learn from those mistakes personally i'm not i'm not upset about the the course of of things that took me from an 800 cc um uh, cruiser that is slow on any given day to uh to this wonderful bike this beautiful bike with analog brakes and uh different driving modes including a, a rain mode and traction control it's it's a, it's a much safer experience for me overall as long as i can rein myself in it turns deeper it it, uh, it is capable, more capable on off-road surfaces, which is something that we've been su- subjected to uh, over and over again. In fact, our first experience getting off the ground, we went to uh, uh, Wall, South Dakota, and, uh, and we even you know, saw the Sturgis Bike Rally, and we were staying uh, in a place that was all mud. And I drove a cruiser motorcycle across mud in South Dakota, something that I'm much more equipped for now Uh, with, with my bike and you can see me on the road and you can, you can see most motorcyclists on the road. And I will say that probably 50 to 60% of motorcyclists will have pushed themselves to learn more, are interested in becoming better. If they're not going to classes, then they're interested in, in uh, turning tighter. They're interested in, uh, people look at gaining speed as a bad thing, but, and I know uh, there are definitely people who push it too far, but, Being faster in a corner means that you understand the corner better, you understand the lines better, you understand where you should be turning better, and you start understanding what the patterns of people's behaviors are to keep yourself from being hurt. Is that a replacement for being on the track? Absolutely not, but it also means that if you're doing that on the roads, that you're more prepared for more diverse set of circumstances. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a turn and then saw a gigantic patch of gravel because it's runoff from the side of a mountain or a cliff or a plateau or something. And I said, that's dangerous, but I know how to handle it. It's not something in a car you would give even a second thought to. And it's because of my pursuit in education, my pursuit in being well-regulated, that I've learned how to handle myself and become less of a danger to myself, less of a danger to my wife, and a less of a danger to you in any given circumstances. Although, let's face it, if we get into an accident together, I'm I'm the one who's going to suffer for that. Although, leave it to me to take a podcast that I said was going to be about po- politics and turn it into a pol- about podcast about uh, shooting and leave it to me to take a podcast that was supposed to be about po- politics and turn it into something about guns and motorcycles because that's what I talk about, right? But the the truth is, my experiences with motorcycles colors my experiences with guns now because I now understand what people are uh, afraid of, and you should understand what people are afraid of too. The truth is, you you don't you don't you're not safe. And I don't want to mean that in a scary way, but the truth is, every time you get on the road, you're filled, you're you're in a road filled with people, who more than likely are interacting with some sort of smart device. Maybe it's their actual car, you don't know, but it could be their cell phone. And for the sake of hands-free, let's just say that hands-free is okay. Uh, you know, I don't. It's not perfect. I, I still use it on my bike. I get it. Um. But but the, taking your attention away from being able to interact with your vehicle takes away your your ability to pay attention to survivability you're putting other people's lives at risk the truth of the matter is i'm not going to make much of a dent in your life a dent in your car but not, not much of a dent in your life on my bike there's definitely a self-serving purpose when i complain about people driving and, and playing with their cell phones in fact that integrated tribalism which uh, i'm going to rename right now to kickball teaming that 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 kickball teaming. I don't know why I like that so much. That kickball teaming is something that I experienced directly when I first started riding motorcycles. Uh, and it's, it's not something that I knew about, uh, because I didn't, I didn't really think about it. I never thought that, you know, people with motorcycles were different than people with cars. I didn't know that there would be a pronounced difference between those two communities. I knew that, you know, motorcyclists were faster in every way and that there was definitely an inherent amount of maneuverability on, on a roadway that wasn't available to a car just based on how much space is left in the lane for a motorcycle. But I didn't know that there was a derogatory term for people who drive cars. We call them cagers. As a person who enjoyed driving my car, with a turbo and a blow-off valve and a ridiculous exhaust, I'd never given it a second thought. To people, I look like a tuner. I look like the kind of person who would spend money on his car because he enjoys driving it. And boy, there are some people who love driving their cars. And even within there, the kickball teaming is, is, is terrible. Um, I, I watch a lot of TikTok. And in fact, I like to watch car videos and motorcycle videos, which... Uh, On a side note, it's crazy to see how many felonies are being recorded on the internet. But that kickball teaming isn't even relegated to, like, cars versus motorcycles. Or luxury cars versus JDM cars. Or American, well, yeah, American versus Japanese is there. But it's more about displacement than it is about um, anything else. No, the crazy thing about that is the divisions, even within those categories, if you have a Mustang, oh, you've got a V6 Mustang. Oh, you have an EcoBoost Mustang. Oh, you've got the V8, but do you have the GT350? Well, no, I've got the G th- GT500. Oh, but you have an automatic, it doesn't count. Like, there's so many stipulations to all of this kickball teaming that it's just kind of crazy to see w- at what lengths we are willing to distinguish, distinguish ourselves from other people just so that we have a group that we, we can all get along in. I didn't understand what the meaning behind cager was until I started riding the roads alongside cars, especially for longer distances. I didn't understand what it meant until the first time I rode on a, a twisty canyon road uh, by myself, thankfully, and watched a car cross directly into my lane so that they could have a better position in the turn. And it and, and almost cost me a lot my life because they just, they just didn't care. I never understood what the, what the meaning of cager was until uh, I, I tried to turn into a Walmart parking lot and, and I had the right of way because I was in the main road, and as I made my left turn into the Walmart parking lot, a woman whom I locked eyes with, my visor was up, and we were looking directly into each other's eyes, began to drive into me as I was turning. I didn't understand what the meaning of the word cager was until the first time a a person attempted to merge into my lane, attempted to merge into me with a cell phone in their hand while they were looking down. And when I uh, got out of the way and I honked at them, they gave me the finger. And I was well into my way of understanding what cager was when, uh, when the last time when I was in Houston, someone from behind sped up to take a place and cut right in front of me to get into the off-ramp, two seconds faster. I knew that person was a cager. That kind of kickball teaming is is uh, the kind of stuff that we see at, at every every turn in the United States, and I think worldwide actually. I think this is a problem going on all across the world. But because we're all ignorant and we only speak English, and and we don't we don't um, pay attention to what's going on in the rest of the world, we have no idea it's happening. The truth is talking about politics is exhausting, at least for me. I know that there are some people who definitely get charged up by it. But for me, having having to talk about politics is exhausting because I don't want to have to talk about the nuances of it. There are things that I don't understand about our society that that just are things that people accept as a, a way of life because it's more comfortable for them to think about things in terms of black and white. If you want to talk politics to me, I want to talk about compassion. If you wanna say this isn't reasonable, how are we gonna pay for those things? I wanna talk about how we're paying for our tax cuts and how we continuously allow people to make billions and billions more dollars while while we're still paying people next to nothing. I wanna understand why people have to be forced to make less than a livable wage when other people are making millions of dollars on top of that. I wanna talk about how poisonous our healthcare system is. I wanna talk about how the stock market is the biggest um, religion in in the United States. I wanna talk about how our pursuit of profitability is more important than making sure that people have steady jobs. I wanna talk about the fact that we hire people seasonally to pay them as much as we would for an entire year, and then cut them off of the job for six months while they wait to be rehired by the same company because the shares needed to look good. I want to talk about how people disguise those conversations as a a matter of economics instead of what makes a more reasonable society. Do you want to be productive? That sounds wonderful. Why don't we take the covers off of whatever project that we're putting out there? Uh, Why don't we work together? Well, all of those ideals are socialism. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. The one thing that everyone can conclude is that the United States has an economic... Society built on sustaining itself, in that millionaires will continue to make millions of dollars, uh, while people who are poor don't. Getting rid of taxes and only doing sales taxes sounds wonderful in, in uh, theory, but the truth of the matter is that millionaires don't spend money. Deregulation is a bad idea because the first, the reason that we had regulation there in the first place, is because companies were proven that they cannot be trusted to do things in an honorable manner when profit is on the line laws don't come from a place of how can we prevent this from ever happening they come from a place of how can we prevent this from happening in the future i don't think favorably upon modern unions because i don't believe they serve the people anymore but the truth is the unions existed in the first place because employers were so abusive the fact is that we have child labor laws because employers were hiring child labor because it was better for the bottom lines. The the fact is, those circumstances existed because the United States was in such a destitute situation that children had to work in order to put food on the table. It's something I repeat over and over again in, in pretty much every conversation of context where we talk about the, uh, the acts of humanity and our inability to process things correctly, whether they be in romantic relationships, friendships, uh, parenthood, family... or or business relationships. The truth is that we are just animals who learned how to speak. Our ability to speak allowed us to put things in context because now with context, we had memory and because of memory, we have feuds and the ability to learn and the ability to create tools and utilize that and pass down that knowledge. This is really at the end of the day, the sparking of fire. We've created knowledge. Our ability to pass that down is the ultimate legacy of everything that we've accomplished through speech. One of the most important things that we have forgotten over the course of the last eight, 14 years is that none of us are perfect. 0% of us are perfect. 100% of us are imperfect. One of the things that came up during actually a very refreshing stream that I did today was our our inability to move past some of the things that have happened in our lives. Um, The truth is, that nothing, nothing is going to go well. Uh, however your parents raised you, however wonderful your parents are, even if they're perfect, there's going to be something about your parents that isn't right, that isn't perfect, whatever. And those, those parents, no matter how perfect they are, if they, they raise two children identically, both the same way, one of those kids is going to end up vastly different from the other kids because, because one of those kids is going to grow up because of how they were raised and the other kid is going to raise, be, grow up in spite of how they were raised. Your parents didn't know what they were doing. And if you have kids right now, you don't know what you're doing. And all you're supposed to be doing is paying attention to your kid and loving your kid and doing your best. You're going to make mistakes and you should ask for forgiveness from your child when they're old enough to understand that you have no idea what you were doing. The very notion, the very notion that you would have all the answers for something, that you would be 100% right about whatever position you are, is stupid. stupid. I know we normally come from a position of positivity on this podcast, but the truth is, if you believe that you are right 100% of the time, if you believe that there is no one who can teach you anything, if you believe that your positions are the correct positions, even if you don't know why, you are stupid. If you spend your time collecting a bunch of responses to whatever it is that your political dyad might have to say about whatever position that you might have, then you can't think for yourself. You're just regurgitating someone else's thoughts. If you, can, if you can't come to a political discussion with the thought of having a legitimate discussion, if you can't come to that discussion and say, this is what I believe, and here is why I believe it, and these are the reasons that I think that my position is correct, and you can't have that discussion without blowing up at someone's criticism if you can have the discussion and think to yourself okay well their position is reasonable perhaps i should reevaluate my position first if you come to a discussion and rather than have a discussion where you discuss your position your position your thought process your individuality your own experiences if instead you came for a debate then you are no longer useful to our political system so taking the long way around like i do on a motorcycle um... In this situation, what I what I guess I want to say here is if if your political positions have been boiled down to regurgitating memes, if your positions are repeating what you've heard on whatever news source, be it Fox News or CNN or NPR or some conservative Facebook group or or some liberal Tumblr post, if, if those are your opinions, we don't we don't need them. We don't need them. They've already been expressed. You, you, you've added nothing to the conversation. If you want to know what the real problem with American politics is, is that we count numbers. People have stopped learning to think for themselves. One of the things that founded our country was not the ideal that everyone should think the same. One of the first things we did as a government was attempt to reinstill a, a, a king. We wanted to make George Washington, a general who won the American Revolution, king of the United States, because we didn't know any better. It wasn't until after years, years of debate that we ratified the Articles of Confederation. They were created, created, created in 1777, and they weren't ratified until 1781. Four years of debate to to come up with a set of rules that would govern how the 13 colonies of the United States would share responsibilities and interact with each other and have an equal sense of development in the United States. Four years it took for us to agree on those sets of rules, on how to treat the citizens, on how laws would apply across state lines. And it would be seven more years yet until we would adopt the United States Constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation as our standard of laws in the United States. It's a document here in this country that we abide by, not just because it's something that we have to do. For a lot of us, it's a matter of pride. There's a lot of people who take that document very seriously, in both s- historical significance and because it affects their daily lives. It's the foundation of the laws in the United States. Every time we make a law in the United States, at some point, when someone breaks that law, they will appeal it with the intent of testing that in, in some appellate court to determine whether or not it violates that constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice and secure d- domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general, general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Whenever we talk about what, what the founders had intended, it's, it's a very interesting discussion, especially when you talk about uh, the Supreme Court justices and their positions on, on uh, what, what's going on in the country. The truth of the matter is we live in a democratic republic. We elect leaders who then make decisions for us. We no longer have a say in things. In fact, if you elect a leader who says one thing, decides to do another, there is zero recourse you have until you decide to recall them. But at that point, you probably can't. The fact is, in this country, we have so many things distracting us in every way, from every facet, from every, every position, that we no longer get a chance to say, have a say in everything that's going on. You can't be an expert in everything. In fact, uh, just as far as surveillance goes, I don't even know how you can, can have a, a legitimate co- uh, comment or, 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 or conversation, that, that's the word I was looking for, conversation about the topic of surveillance in the United States without the realization that literally everyone has a surveillance device, at least one surveillance device, on their person at any given time. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, if another person is involved, more than likely you are being recorded in some way. Dash cams gopros i wear a gopro on my face i'm gonna have a gopro on my bike tomorrow i'm going for a long ride and uh and it's gonna be you know four or five hours on that motorcycle and and yeah i'm gonna take a, a video of that of course what if something happens to me those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty or safety. Was something that Ben Franklin is uh, is uh, quoted for saying, and it's interesting because that that was a very different conversation back then than it is now. We are no longer talking about temporary safety. We are no longer talking about purchasing liberty. Liberty. This is this is no longer a guarantee because one of the first things that you give up when you take someone's side, one of the first things that you give up when you affiliate with a political group is that liberty. Having to play the kickball team game because you want other people to agree with your position on abortion or gun rights or uh, taxation or maybe you have libertarian views about the government's involvement in your own personal life means that you give up your ability to have a say in anything anymore. We've all lost that ability. And one of those problems with tribalism, that word is back, that tribalism, is that it's no longer intelligent. It's a meme. It's something that we spread to each other. Welcome to the club. This is now what you believe.